Happy New Year to everyone. I'm curious, uh, how many people stayed up till midnight last night? Anybody? A few? Yeah? Uh, we didn't have a choice at our house with all of the fireworks that were going on outside. Fortunately, people had warned us about that, so we were somewhat prepared, but it was, whew, it was loud. Anyway, before we get to our passage from Luke today, uh, just a couple, couple of quick things. First of all, when Carol, during the worship time, uh, pointed outside at the cemetery, it, it made me think of the passage at Easter when the disciples go to the tomb and the angel's there waiting for them and says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. And I hope it's okay to talk about Easter on January 1st, but, uh, but I just thought, wow, because he lives, we also have life. And so every time we look at that cemetery, we can remember that, that he is not there. He is risen. And because he lives, we also have life. So thanks be to God for that. The other thing I wanted to uh, tell you about, just a personal update, because you all have been uh, praying with us about our adoption of James, is we got some really good news on Friday that the um, court decision that we've been waiting for came through, and so and it came through the way we were hoping. And so, um, yes. So we just give thanks to the Lord for his faithfulness to us in that. So it'll probably still be maybe uh, another two months before James is here in Prague with us, but uh, this was the last big obstacle to his adoption. And so we are really grateful that our whole family will be able to be together again. So thank you for walking through that with us, and, and just we give thanks to God for that. So. So we are going to be looking at a passage from Luke today. I know that we are are in the new year already, January 1st, but we are going to take one more week to soak the last little bit out of Advent and Christmas season this morning. And so we're going to be looking at a passage from Luke chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 22 through 30, excuse me, 21 through 40. That's the one we're supposed to be looking at. So, So hear with me the word of the Lord from the gospel according to Luke. It says, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of doves, or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required... Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. 
She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there's a lot uh, that is going on in this passage this morning. Um, This passage wants to tell us a lot about who Jesus is and why he came uh, right here at the very beginning of his life when he's still just one month old. He's a newborn baby. Um, And as I was looking over this sermon, uh, reviewing for this morning, I thought I probably could have preached several sermons on this one passage, but instead I decided to condense it all into one. And so so there's a lot uh, that we'll be looking at this morning. And so let's just pray as we often do, that whatever God has for us this morning, uh, that we would be ready to receive it. Um, We've just come through the season of Advent, and uh, Advent is meant to be a season um, of preparation, of waiting for Christ to come into the world, for waiting for Christ uh, to come into our hearts. Uh, It's meant to be a season of of repentance, that that is part of that preparation, where we turn away from our sin. And and it's meant to be a season that represents Israel's waiting for the Messiah, God's anointed one who was coming into the world to deliver them and to to set them free. And this waiting went on for for hundreds and hundreds of years. As we look at the Old Testament, we see that it went on generation after generation, some generations waiting more faithfully than others, but waiting for God to fulfill his promise to them that one day he was going to redeem his people, Israel. And part of what we learn from observing Advent is that waiting is an important exercise for us as Christians, as God's people. And we touched on this idea a few weeks ago. Uh, Waiting is a good spiritual discipline. Waiting gives time and it gives space for God to work in us, to work in our hearts, to shape us into the people that he wants us to be to shape us into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ, and to help us learn how to put our trust in him, uh, to, that he will be faithful to us as we have sung this morning. And so we've been going through this time of Advent, of waiting that we, that we observe every year uh, from the end of November uh, through the end of December. But one week ago today, our focus shifted from waiting to fulfillment, from waiting to fulfillment. And we moved from Advent to Christmas. Christ the Savior is born. Praise God. And and God's promises have been fulfilled. We see God's faithfulness to us through the birth of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, let's be honest. We can talk about the fact that waiting is a really good thing. It's a good exercise for us as Christians. But I will admit, at least for myself, I don't really like waiting very much. I don't know if anybody else can relate to that or not. Um, but when I want something, I want it then. Uh, and so, and I don't think I'm alone in this because I think a lot of our society has been built around the fact that people don't like waiting. Um, 
Vail and I have talked often about how moving here to Prague from the United States in 2022 with smartphones uh, has made it a much easier endeavor than it would have been 15 years ago because I can translate anything immediately as soon as I want. I can look up how to get anywhere I want to go on my phone as soon as I want. Um, if I want to watch a TV show, I don't have to wait for it to come on on a certain schedule. I just stream it right then. It's on demand, right? On demand. We love that. Fast food restaurants. I ordered something from Alza this week on Wednesday. I think it was there by that night, if I'm not mistaken, maybe the next morning. But we don't have to wait very much. And I like that because I really don't like to wait. I prefer fulfillment. I prefer fulfillment. And if I think that's okay, fulfillment is better than waiting, or at least we feel that way. We celebrate when we receive what it is that we have been waiting for. Uh, but when we think about Christmas and Advent, we think about waiting and fulfillment, and the two really go hand in hand. They need each other. They give meaning to each other. Neither has as much meaning without the other. Waiting without ever receiving any sort of fulfillment uh, leads to disappointment and discouragement and despair if we just keep waiting and waiting and waiting and never get what it is that we are waiting for. And yet, there is also a greater appreciation for the fulfillment of something when we've had to wait for it. We value it more. It means more to us because of the waiting. And so when we look at Advent and Christmas, we see that these two seasons need each other. They give meaning to each other, waiting and fulfillment. And that's why Christmas is such an important day each year. That's why we blow it up so big in the church in a good way. Uh, we celebrate it so much because it is the day that all of God's promises are fulfilled for us in Jesus Christ. It's a day to celebrate God's faithfulness to us, his people. These are promises that have been waited for for a long time that have been fulfilled. And so when we look at our passage today about Simeon and Anna, it is a popular passage for the Sunday after Christmas. And partly that's because uh, the story takes place right after Jesus' birth. Uh, it comes uh, in Luke right after uh, the shepherds have gone off to tell everybody about Jesus' birth. Jesus is just one month old when this story takes place. It happens right after that first Christmas. But also because it is a passage about waiting and fulfillment. It's a passage about Advent and Christmas that we see here. So as our passage starts, uh, we see Joseph and Mary, and they are two devout Jewish parents who are seeking to raise their son the right way, to get started on his life in the right way, in a faithful way. And, and I have to say that I really resonate with this. This is their firstborn child. And when you are a new parent, uh, when you have your first child with you, you have no idea what you're doing. And you're just really trying not to mess it up. You know, I mean, I remember thinking, if we don't get Presley down for a consistent nap at the same time every day, then he just has no hope in life, right? That's kind of how you feel as a new parent, or at least that's how we felt sometimes. And so uh, you're just trying not to mess things up. So you're very intentional about what you're doing. You want to do everything just right to check everything off the box. Now, maybe I'm projecting on Mary and Joseph here a little bit, but I sense that that's what's going on with them, that they want to be faithful parents who raise their son in the right way. And so they bring Jesus up to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord when he is just over a month old, because that is what they were supposed to do. This was what was required of them by the law, the Jewish law. 
Now, the fact that this story takes place in the temple is something that we should pay attention to. It's something that's important because uh, the temple was considered the place where people went to meet with God. This is where God's presence rested. And so when people went up to the temple, we have a sense that God's presence is there. So we should already be looking for something significant to happen in this story. Anytime we're reading through scripture and we find ourselves at the temple, we should pay a little extra attention. What is going on in this passage? What's going to happen in this story? And so when they get to the temple, they meet Simeon. And Simeon has been waiting. Simeon has been waiting. We're told that Simeon has been waiting for the consolation of Israel and that the Holy Spirit has revealed to him that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, we don't know Simeon's exact age. We're not told, but the passage implies that he is an old man and that he has been waiting for a very long time for the fulfillment of this promise that has been given to him. And when I think about Simeon, uh, one question that comes to mind for me, for him, is I wonder what this waiting was like for him. For him to just keep going to the temple day after day, year after year, uh, waiting for this promise that God had given him. What was it like for him? I wonder if it was a waiting of hopeful expectation. Did he show up each day? Uh, did he get there five minutes early before everything opened up? Was he filled with joy, waiting? Maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day. Or I wonder, had he given up on some level after all of this waiting of showing up each day, waiting to see what was going to happen? Had he grown disappointed? Had he grown discouraged? Or perhaps his waiting was somewhere in between, where some days he went really thinking, today's the day, and other days he went thinking, this is never going to happen. Especially as he grew older and older in his age, as he grew closer and closer to death, did he start to wonder if this promise was really going to be fulfilled. It certainly seems from our passage today that he was still waiting, and his response is one of faith that we see. But I wonder if he ever became discouraged. Did he ever wonder if God's promise to him would actually be fulfilled? And I ask this question partly because this story isn't just about Simeon. We're told several things about Simeon in the description of him that clue us into the fact that he is part of a larger story. We're told that he is righteous and devout. And these are words that are used to describe Old Testament figures such as Abraham and Noah and Job. They also were righteous and devout. We're told that he, the Holy Spirit was upon him. And that's a phrase that puts him in the same category as the prophets of the Old Testament. And with all of these connections, all of these allusions, uh, the author of our gospel, Luke, is using Simeon to represent all of the faithful Israelites who have waited patiently for God to fulfill his promise of the Messiah, the anointed one who was going to redeem Israel to save them. So Simeon's waiting to see the Christ is also Israel's waiting to see the Christ. Simeon's waiting to see the Christ is also Israel's waiting to see the Christ. It's not that just that this man has been waiting a lifetime to see the consolation of Israel, but that generations of faithful Israelites have been waiting to see their consolation as well. So when Simeon sees Jesus in the temple, he looks at this tiny infant, this, this month-old baby, who can do nothing for himself, and he recognizes in this child that this is the fulfillment of God's promise. Simeon says emphatically at that point, now you are letting your servant depart in peace 
For my eyes have seen your salvation. And he puts an emphasis on the now, here, in this moment. God's salvation is not coming through some future event, something else that we're waiting to happen, something that we're waiting for Jesus to do, but God's salvation is here and now in this child. This is the person through whom God's salvation has come to the world. This is the one whom Israel has been waiting for. The fulfillment of the promise for Simeon is so much better because of the waiting that he has been going through for so long. And before we move on to to consider more about Simeon and we look at his song here in just a second, um, I just want to stop and ask one other question. How did Simeon know? How did Simeon know? How did Simeon know that this baby is the one that he has been waiting for? How does he know that this is the Messiah? How is he able to say all of the things about Jesus that he does in his song, all of these prophetic things that we're about to look at? We have no reason to think that he's met Mary and Joseph before or that he knows their story, all of these other things that have happened in Luke. Um, But we're told something about Simeon, something that we've mentioned already, that he had the Holy Spirit. Simeon had the Holy Spirit. And so Simeon looks at Jesus, this baby, and he knows that it is the Messiah by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is something that the Holy Spirit has revealed to him, and there's no other way for him to know that. This is something that we've been told about other people in Luke as well up to this point. Uh, We see it with Mary, with her cousin Elizabeth, with John the Baptist, with Zechariah. They've all been filled with the Holy Spirit, and they speak out of what the Holy Spirit has told them to say. God has revealed to them what he is doing, what he is up to in the world through Jesus Christ. And most importantly, the Holy Spirit has allowed them to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. So Simeon recognizes Jesus because the Holy Spirit reveals it to him. It's not obvious otherwise. And I think that this is another place where our passage touches the lives of God's people today. Because just like Simeon, we need the Holy Spirit. We need God's Holy Spirit to reveal to us where he is at work in the world where Christ is showing up in the world, because it's not always obvious to us where God is at work or where Christ is at work. It's not always where we might think, and it doesn't always make sense or follow our own strategic process, planning process. We need the enlightenment of God's Holy Spirit to know where God is moving and where God is leading us. So come Holy Spirit and fill us up and lead us and show us where you are working in this world so we can go and follow you there. So as we come back to Simeon, we find that that he sees the baby Jesus, and he gets so excited that he breaks into song. I love this idea uh, that this old man is sitting there in the temple, and he sees Jesus, and he just starts singing right? Uh, This is something that we've seen happen. I've heard people describe the first two chapters of Luke as like uh, living in a musical uh, because people just keep breaking into song everywhere, right? Mary sings, Zachariah sings, Simeon sings, and, and they're just overwhelmed with what is happening around them. And all of a sudden, they're just singing. And so uh, Simeon starts singing, and he starts to give this prophetic witness about who Jesus is. And there's something uh, that bigger that is going on in this part as well 
well too. Because Simeon isn't just making things up on the spot about Jesus, but he is reaching deep into the scriptures of the Old Testament to tell us who Jesus is. Simeon is defining Jesus' identity and mission in the scriptures of Israel, and specifically uh, alluding to passages from the book of Isaiah. Now, we see this as pointing us back to the Old Testament, uh, but for Simeon, it's good for us to remember that there was no such thing as the Old Testament. What we call the Old Testament was just scripture for him. That's all they had. That's all that they knew about God and what God was doing in the world. This is what had been revealed to them up to this point. The witness of scriptures is that Jesus' life and ministry are the continuation and fulfillment of that story, the story of what we call the Old Testament. And so Simeon recognizes Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. But he believes this because he sees in what the scriptures have already told him. Uh, We see this happen throughout all of Luke's gospel, that the Old Testament is used to show that Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of the scriptures. Jesus is the one that they have been pointing to all along. And Jesus actually makes that point himself in a couple of places, especially after the resurrection, where he shows people where the scriptures have been pointing to him the whole time, that he is the fulfillment of everything that has come before so fortunately, here in Simeon's song, uh, we see that, that uh, Israel's scriptures are being interpreted for us. Simeon's choices of allusions, they're intentional here. They're not just a random assortment of scriptures. But his song and the reference to the consolation of Israel all point us back to a specific collection of passages from Isaiah known as the servant songs. There's a collection of passages between Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 55 that are known as the servant songs. Uh, and and uh, it's from these passages that we get verses such as Isaiah 42, verse 1, where he says, Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Or we also get Isaiah 53, verse 5. It says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And the theme that runs through all of these servant songs, the common thread that goes through all of these passages, is that they describe a servant of God who willingly suffers in order to bring forgiveness and redemption to Israel. And so Simeon is pointing at Jesus and saying that this is who this baby is. This is the servant of the Lord who Isaiah told us about so long ago. This is the child who has come to bring Israel's salvation through his own suffering. We can only understand Jesus as the Messiah by grasping these images from Isaiah. Already as a baby, Simeon is hinting at the suffering that Jesus will go through for the sake of God's people. Already from Jesus' birth, we are being pointed to his death on the cross for our sake, that this is what Jesus came to do. This is what is in store for this baby. And so Simeon's pointing that out already. And then Simeon's song also highlights another important part of Jesus' mission that is rooted in the Old Testament. Jesus is God's salvation, which is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. You see, God's salvation is not just for Israel, but for the Gentiles as well. It is for all people. 
And this shouldn't surprise us, uh, perhaps, because it's also from Isaiah. It's something that we see throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah 49, verse 6 says this, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. And then Isaiah 52, verse 10 says, And all of the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. The truth is that God's plan to bring salvation to the Gentiles through Israel goes all the way back to his covenant with Abraham. When God told Abraham, through you, all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Through you, all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God's desire for all people to be saved is not new with the coming of Jesus into the world, but it has been in the works from the very beginning, even since Adam and Eve first sinned. And so this is another part of Jesus' mission that we see even from him as a baby. When Simeon's song ends, Mary and Joseph, they, they marvel at what has been said about their son. Imagine that as new parents, even with everything that's happened to them already, uh, to have these things be said about your one-month-old child uh, when you bring them up to the temple by this strange old man that you've never met before, uh, what that must have been like for them. They marveled at it. <laughs> they marveled at it. Uh, we might imagine other reactions that they were having as well. And then Simeon blesses them. He blesses Mary and Joseph as Jesus' parents here on earth. But then the story doesn't end there, and it takes a little bit of a dark turn because Simeon turns to Mary, and he gives her a sort of a a prophetic warning where he says that Jesus would be there for the the rise and fall of many in Israel and that he is going to uh, receive opposition. Not everyone is going to embrace her child and the salvation that he is bringing He is going to receive opposition. The coming of Jesus into the world is a reason to celebrate. It it brings us joy. And we are thankful for all that is given to us in Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of our sins, for eternal life, for the restoration of all of creation that is to come one day. But Simeon's song tells us early on that this will come at a cost, that this will all come at a cost a cost that will be paid by Christ himself, this baby that sits in front of him. The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says, this is what happens when the kingdom of God confronts the kingdom of the world. There is conflict and there is opposition. Wherever God's kingdom breaks into the world, it will meet opposition. And of course, we we see this happening all around us. We see this with oppressive powers in the world that seek to to take advantage of people, of average ordinary people. We see it with cultures that often revel in their sin and seek to pull people away from God's will for them. But I also wonder, how does this conflict play out for you in your life? How does this conflict play out for you in your own life? The good news of Jesus Christ tells us of God's grace and forgiveness, but it also shines light on our own sin, and it calls us to repentance. These aren't necessarily things that we always want to be faced with, though. Having a light shown shown on our sin is not something that we always want to invite. Ask yourselves if somebody has ever confronted you before about something in your life that you needed to be confronted about, how welcome were you to that confrontation? (laughs) Is that something that you wanted to happen? Did you respond positively to it? 
again, I will confess that often I don't. I don't like my sin being pointed out to me. I don't like God's light being shown into the dark places of my life because it's hard. And, and, and we don't want to be faced with the fact that we are imperfect sinners, broken people. But also, it's sometimes because uh, we want to cling to our sin, that there are things in our lives that keep us from God that we really don't want to let go of. And sometimes the reality is that we would rather be the rulers of our own lives than submit to God and God's lordship in our lives. John chapter 3 verse 19 uh, says this, this is the verdict, light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. In Christ, light has come into the world. God's light has come into the world. But people loved the darkness more than the light because their deeds were evil. So what are we to do? What are we to do? Well, I think, again, we pray that the Holy Spirit would show us where we need to repent. That the Holy Spirit would shine God's love and light into our lives and show us our sin and ask the Lord to make us open to seeing it so that we could repent and turn away from it. We pray for the Spirit to change us and to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. And then we give thanks that Jesus took all of our sins, even the ones that we're still dealing with, even the ones that we're still clinging to, he took all of those sins upon himself on the cross for our sake. So this is where we end with Simeon in our story uh, and all that he had to say about Jesus Christ. And from here in our passage, we turn to Anna. And uh, Anna's story takes up less space than Simeon, but it is no less important. And we're told a little bit about Anna, uh, and I appreciate that the the Gospels tell us a little bit about her life, Uh, that she was married for seven years, that she's been widowed since. Uh, She was widowed at a young age, and ever since, and I think our passage said she was 84, and ever since, she has been faithfully going to the temple. And we're told that she is a prophet, which means that the Holy Spirit is on her in the same way that the Holy Spirit has been on the Old Testament prophets, speaking to her and speaking through her. And it's the Holy Spirit that allows her to recognize Jesus as the Messiah as well. So Anna's old. She's been waiting just like Simeon has. And I love what happens here because she's at the temple just like she is every day going about her life and she sees Jesus and she immediately gives thanks to God. And then she just starts telling everybody about it. (laughs) She gives thanks to God and she starts telling everybody about it. She is an evangelist. She wants people to know the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of God's faithfulness to her and to all people that she has witnessed in this baby. Later in the Gospel of Luke, we hear the word witness used about what she's doing, about people who testify to something that they know is true. And that's what Anna is doing here. She is bearing witness to God's faithfulness to her. She's telling people about what God has done, that the promise has been fulfilled Anna wants people to know about it. It reminds me of the shepherds that we looked at last week, uh, earlier in in, uh, Luke's gospel, who go out as soon as they see the baby Jesus and start telling people about it as well. And in this, we see a faithful response, our faithful response to God's faithfulness to us. Thanksgiving, and then proclamation. Or thanksgiving, and then witness. God, thank you for fulfilling your promise to us, and now we go and tell others about it because we want them to know too.
Our passage today ends uh, with a picture of Jesus as a child. Um, It has this brief statement about how Jesus grew uh, in wisdom and in stature and in favor with both God and men. I think it was worded a little bit differently in the passage we were looking at. But it's a nice way that Luke concludes this whole section, uh, Luke chapters 1 and 2, about Jesus' childhood or his infancy. And there's a lot that could be said uh, here about, um, about what Luke's saying, about this last statement. But if nothing else, it serves as a reminder to us that Jesus lived a very human life. That Jesus was a baby, that he grew like all children, uh, that he grew in wisdom and in stature. He got bigger physically, uh, and he grew in, in favor with God and with men. I think it's important for us to remember that sometimes, that Jesus wasn't just some enlightened spiritual guru who transcended our physical world and shows us how to transcend this physical world and all the pain that's in it. Jesus is the Son of God who entered into the very mess of this world and our lives and a physical body and experienced all of it. Our Savior is one who knows about the joys and the pains of this life, the triumphs and the struggles of this life, because he went through it himself. The book of Hebrews describes it this way. He says, God did not give us a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who was tempted in every way as we are, yet who was without sin. Friends, this should be an encouragement to us that God knows what our lives are like and what they're about and enters into it with us, has entered into it with us, with Jesus Christ. So as we come to the end of of this section, and we've looked at the book of Luke over the last couple weeks, but as we we talk about the stories of Jesus' birth and childhood, uh, we've been introduced to a pretty broad cast of characters uh, that we've seen all the way up to here. We've seen shepherds and angels. uh, We've seen uh, Mary and Joseph and Zachariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist, and now we've seen Simeon and we've seen Anna and all of these different people. And some of them, as we read through the Gospels, we will come across again and again, and some we don't see again. Um, And this is all that we know about them. But this diversity of characters invites all of us, no matter our age or where we are in life, to find ourselves in this story of Jesus' life. Luke is trying to draw us into this story about Jesus. Uh, And again, I want to quote something from uh, N.T. Wright. He says, uh, in reflecting on this, he says, no matter who or where you are, The story of Jesus, from the feeding trough in Bethlehem to the empty tomb and beyond, can become your story. It can become your story. And in becoming your story, it will become your vocation. Everybody has their own role in God's plan. For some, it will be active and obvious, working in the public eye, perhaps preaching the gospel or taking the love of God to meet the practical needs of the world. But for others, it will be quiet away from the public view, praying faithfully for God to act in fulfillment of his promises. For many, it will be a mixture of the two, sometimes one and sometimes the other. Mary and Joseph needed Simeon and Anna at that moment. The old man and old woman needed them, had been waiting for them, and now thanked God for them. The births of John the Baptist and Jesus are already beginning their work of drawing people of all sorts into new worship and fellowship. 
Friends, uh, what Wright is saying here, his comment gives us a picture of the church, of the body of Christ, the community of people that is drawn by the Holy Spirit into worship and fellowship with each other, the community of people that, that need each other. Friends, we need each other in Christ. People who are waiting together, people who are walking through life together and encouraging each other along the way, reminding one another of God's faithfulness to us through his son Jesus Christ and responding faithfully together in thanksgiving and in witness. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks uh, that we get to be a part of the body of Christ and the communion of saints and all those who have waited faithfully before us, all of the prophets in Israel, all of those early believers, Lord, who put their faith in you. And Lord, we pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to see where you are at work in this world, to remind us of your faithfulness to us, to help us to be your faithful witnesses here on this earth so that others might come to know you and the joy of knowing your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this all in his name and for his sake. Amen.